0: Welcome to the Anne Arundel County Police Department. What you are about to hear are real stories, told by some of the men and women who lived through them. Join us as we examine active, closed, and sometimes cold cases with an occasional look behind the badge. Our mission is to be informative and engaging with the goal of providing justice and just maybe closure to our victims and their families. I'm Chris Anderson, and this is the Crime Journal. Hey, and welcome to the show. I am your host, Chris Anderson, and you're listening to The Crime Journal. Today's episode is going to go in a much different direction than previous cases we featured on the show. This is part one of a three-part episode. We're going to take you as deep into the case as we can, from the crime itself, to the evidence, through the investigation and the discovery that brought answers to an unsolved mystery. It's Tuesday, February 2nd, 2010. Winter has taken a foothold and a wintry blanket of snow has fallen in the small Woodwardville community in the heart of Odenton, Maryland. It's late in the evening when Margaret Ridgely and Michael Temple return to their home on Williamsburg Lane. The unsuspecting couple would have no reason to know that within minutes, their whole world would be turned upside down. Once again, I am joined by my co-host, Lieutenant Jackie Davis.
1: Happy to be back, Chris.
0: Detective... Regina Collier.
2: That's Sergeant Regina Collier. To Sergeant you. Detective. Well thank you for having me back again.
0: So let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, we're going to go back to 2010. Um, uh, can you kind of tell us initially what happened uh, with, the, with the call that Western received?
2: Well it was actually February 2nd 2010 at 8 uh, 54 p.m. Western District officers uh they responded to a call for a home invasion shooting that occurred at 522 Williamsburg Lane in Odenton.
0: This is Arundel County 911. Do you need police, fire, or ambulance? Well,
2: somebody just tried to rob us and shot my fiance twice. What was this? Right now.
0: Where are you? And what's the nearest street corner to you? Sorry, what? Your nearest intersecting street. Um, uh, the traffic circle, Odenton Road. All right, what happened? Two people with masks came in here and they tried to rob us. Inside your house? Yes, they came inside my grandmother's house and they shot my boyfriend twice. He can't move. Okay, hold on a minute. Let me get a paramedic on the line too. Stay on the line. Oh God, please help me. Hang on, we're getting you help. Please help me. 3 to 5 Charlie 3 5 Robert 3 start priority one for home invasion. just occurred. There's also a shooting involved. Still waiting on further.
2: I'm there was shooting involved.
0: No servicing that. This is also going
2: to be a shooting. So, when the officers got there, what did they find? Well, when the officers arrived on the scene, they found a male in. It, this occurred in the basement, okay. so he was in the laundry room area. He was in a closet, and he was shot. So, we have the one injured male in the closet. We have an injured female who was the 911 caller, because I do recognize her voice. So oh, she was injured as well? Yes, she was injured. And then there was another gentleman who was, they found in an adjacent bedroom in the basement, a room, basically it was a TV watching room, that he was also tied up. And then we had a witness down in the basement also.
1: Wow, so there was a lot of people on this, this scene when you guys got there.
2: Yes, and so the officers had to sort out what happened, who saw what, and who knew what information so who were the victims then? What victims did you guys have? Well, the victims that we had, we had Michael Temple. Michael Temple was identified as the male who was in the laundry room, clo- the laundry room closet, and mm-hmm. he was shot. We had his girlfriend, who was the 911 caller you just heard, okay. who was Margaret Ridgely. And then we had Margaret's great uncle, Mr. Donald Gagnon, and he was in the adjacent room, and he was tied up, And he was also, we found out, that he was uh, hit in the head before being tied up with duct tape, and he had his wallet stolen at that time. And then we had a witness, Miss Kelly Skorwecki. Wow, so there was the
1: one victim, Michael Temple, who had been shot multiple times. You had Uncle Donald, who had some type of a head injury, and what were Kelly's injuries? Kelly actually
2: had a laceration above her left eye. So who is kelly kelly is a friend of margaret's okay and that's why she was at the residence gotcha
0: okay so when the officers first responded did detectives come out right away or or when did the detectives get involved and was that um and for people who aren't familiar with the way that our particular department operates we have district level detectives and then we have our Uh, CID detectives um, which are more specialized so is it is it like a all hands on deck or is it uh, how, how did that work that night?
2: Well with this case it was Michael's injuries were significant enough that first arriving officers got on the scene and the first thing we do is call out the district detectives because it was a shooting they weren't sure at that point how significant Michael's injuries were. But because of his injuries and what we were hearing from the fire department that also arrived and were assessing him and all, both the district detective units and homicide units were both called out that night to come to the residence.
0: Yeah. So And and let's focus, I guess, first on Michael Temple. Who Who is Michael Temple or who was Michael Temple? Like, what, what did we know about him or what did we learn about him that night?
2: Well, that night we did learn that um, – Michael Temple had been living there for approximately six months. We found out that that residence was Margaret's grandmother's residence. And Michael and Margaret had been together for approximately three, three and a half years. And um, they were supposed to get married. So they were living there. And Michael had gotten laid off from his job. And due to that, they decided that... They were going to sell narcotics to make the ends meet and pay their bills. So they started running their own little business out of the basement of this residence.
0: So Michael Temple, the the, the most severely injured uh, boyfriend, Margaret, uh, girlfriend, but it was actually her grandmother's house yes, that, that, that they were living in.
1: Wow, and grandmother was home or no?
2: Actually, she was home. Um, the grandmother, Miss uh, Mildred Wolf it was her residence and she was home and the way the house is it's split foyer Mm -hmm. so all this happened in the basement and miss mildred was upstairs in the upstairs level she didn't see her or hear anything unfortunately she did have some medical conditions which was the reason originally that margaret had moved in to help her grandmother along
1: yeah you mentioned earlier a witness kelly Yes. yes who is kelly and what did she say
2: Kelly is a friend of Margaret's, and actually, it, it's, uh, she was also a customer of, of theirs. Okay. So, she was there. She um, came there because she was waiting for what was told. She was waiting for a money transfer, and she had to use her computer. Okay. So, she came into their residence. Um, there was a little sh- some strange things there that night with Kelly, because she left her, her child out in the car while oh. she came inside. Okay. And she usually doesn't do that. And um, they were supposed to meet Kelly somewhere else originally that night, and then Kelly kind of changed plans, and they met at that residence.
1: Hello. Yes. Hi. I'm on an emergency. Yes. Somebody's been shot here. I don't even know the address. I'm here. I just. Oh my god. Okay, ma'am. Calm down. Oh my god. Calm down. Oh, is there- okay. Okay, ma'am, try to keep yourself as calm as possible. Look around you. Are you? I just ran I'm. Um,
2: in the house. My daughter was in the car. Thank God my daughter was in the car. Okay, ma'am, is someone there injured? Yes, hold on. I'm getting my daughter out okay. of EMT. I have to go in. And get okay, him. I'm going to get the, uh, pa- uh, the paramedics on the line. So that was Kelly yeah. we
1: just heard also calling 911.
2: Yes, both Margaret and Kelly both called 911 that night.
1: Okay, and you said earlier that Kelly was uninjured in this attack.
2: Yes, for some reason she was at the computer, she saw everything happen, yet no one advanced on her or did anything to her,
1: which is kind of strange because you said earlier that the uncle who was in an adjacent bedroom was attacked and something happened with him, correct? Yes. Can you talk about
2: that a little bit more? Well, from what we learned through talking um from through interviews that day, that mm-hmm. night, is that the uncle, he was in watching um, TV, and the two suspects came into the residence. He stood up from the TV. They went right towards him, uh, hit him in the head, and then hmm. he fell to the ground. And he was his hands were duct taped and his uh, oh, wow. legs were duct taped. And they stole his wallet, which had sixty dollars in it. And then they went into his side bedroom there in the residence in the basement.
1: Okay.
2: So it's the timing they could have been. Waiting for Margaret and Michael to come home at that point, or I think that possibly because the time was so close between when he did that, they did that to the uncle, to when they went into the main bedroom where everyone else was. Okay, that they probably just tried to get him out of the way so they didn't have to worry about coming back and bothering with him later.
1: So I assume that that means to you guys when they enter with a plan that it potentially was somebody that had already been in that residence at some point before. They were familiar with the layout, it appeared.
2: That's what we believe. Gotcha.
1: Now, at the time, was there a neighborhood canvas done? Were there any other witnesses to this?
2: There was a neighborhood canvas done. And um, we routinely do neighborhood canvases on our cases Mm -hmm. and... Sometimes you know you end up with nothing. Sometimes you end up with um, some good information. So we did have some good information that night. Um, there was a witness who saw an unknown vehicle mm. that was parked on the street. Um, in these older neighborhoods, the citizens they can tell what yeah. cars belong there and what don't <laughs> They know their neighbors do not. Know especially their neighbors. on a very snowy evening where people would oh, yeah. just be out driving around randomly anyway. One neighbor did notice that there was a silver truck parked um, across the street from the residence that oh what he did not recognize and it the vehicle parked right before he started hearing the sirens and then when he heard the sirens the vehicle was gone. And 10 please uh, yes, there seems to be a lot of um, squad cars and ambulances about two doors down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I it, it just, uh, I saw something earlier that I thought was uh, suspicious, but I didn't know if this was uh, just a person injured or if this was like uh, some kind of crime committed.
0: Well, what do you mean
2: suspicious? Well, I saw two guys roll up in a truck, I'd say okay. probably around 8.30-ish, and um, walk over to the house that everybody's at. Okay. And then they rolled out of there and Uh left.
1: Okay. Did they give any type of description of the two gentlemen other than what we just heard that witness call in?
2: Margaret was able to describe the two gentlemen. Um, She described them as um, two males. They both were wearing masks, had their face covered. One was a little taller than the other. She believed medium build. One had a handgun, and the other had a folding knife. And in her interview about the suspect who had a handgun, she described his eyes, which are very important down the line, because she described how green his eyes were and how they were piercing and beautiful. Interesting.
0: But they, neither of the victims ever described saying... I distinctly remember them saying this or I recognized their voice or the way that they carried themselves or their mannerisms. So they, they, they described them as by their physical appearance, but they weren't able to say, hey, I could potentially be familiar with, with this person.
2: Exactly. They they didn't say anything that made them think, oh, I know who that is or anything like that at all.
0: And they never went down the path of, hey, we were expecting, you know, John Smith or, or they, they never said that they you know had any idea of who it could have been they didn't try to lead detectives down like a a certain path towards anyone in particular
2: no they weren't expecting anyone um from time to time they did have people drop by looking to um make a deal but it was they'd had nothing set up
0: and when they were describing them um did did they say that both men were armed one man was did they did they go down you know that path of information
2: it was described that the shorter one had a handgun and the taller one had a folding knife
1: you talked a little bit earlier and said that everything happened on the lower level of this home do we know how and that grandma was upstairs do we know how the suspects got in the house did they have to walk through the front door did they climb in a window or what's the entry point here if we know
2: Well, actually, we do know because it was snowing that night, so they left footprints in the snow. Okay. So what they did is they went around to the side of the residence into the back and went into the basement door and went through the basement door and came in through that entrance. Gotcha.
1: Okay, and then you said, um, we talked a little bit about this, but maybe you could describe it a little bit more. It seems to me that they came in, you know, with a with a plan, with an intent, kind of with a mental map, if you will, of where they were going to go. Is there any significance to that at all, um, you know, with, with it being a home invasion at first and, and then a shooting? Can you talk a little bit more about the actual incident itself?
2: Sure. Um, well, they, they did come in with a plan. Um, basically, their plan was to rob Michael and Margaret okay. because... These people knew what they have in that residence. They knew that, you know, they had their business going. They knew they routinely mm-hmm. have, have the CDS and they mm-hmm. routinely have money. In fact, when they came in, they pointed the gun at Michael and the um, other one, threw Margaret to the ground, and they were yelling, open the safe. So oh. they knew exactly where they were going. And they going. knew there
1: was a safe, yep.
2: Exactly. So they knew where they kept things. Okay. And they knew what they were going there for. So this was planned to basically rob them. Gotcha. So what
1: happened then? They throw Margaret to the floor. They're pointing the gun at Michael, telling him to open the safe. And Yes.
2: And uh, Margaret and Michael, they're scrappers. So the fight was on. So... Margaret was on the ground fighting the, fighting the, the taller suspect okay. who had the knife, and Michael was fighting the shorter one. And what we learned that Michael had actually told Margaret later was that Michael had gotten up and ran out of the bedroom that they were in where the fight was occurring and ran towards the laundry room trying to get the two suspects, or at least the suspect with the gun, away from Margaret. Margaret. So that's how he wound out wound up in the other room.
1: Okay. So he runs out towards the laundry room, laundry closet, whatever it is. Yes. The suspect with the gun follows him.
2: Yes. And so Margaret is still on the ground, she's being choked by the other suspect. And then they hear a pop. Okay. And then What's the pop? The pop is Michael being shot. And then they stop for a second and then they hear a second one. And then the suspect that's on top of Michael gets up, and he goes to the other room to see what's going on. Michael is, I mean, and Margaret is right behind him.
1: So the suspect strangling Margaret gets off of Margaret and goes to check on the other two. Yes. And then Margaret obviously follows trying to figure out what happened to her fiancé.
2: Yes. Okay. So the four of them wind up in that back laundry room, and Margaret is yelling and pleading with them, please don't do this, please don't do this. Yeah. And... The suspect, the taller suspect, says to the shorter suspect to shoot her. Wow. And at that point, the shorter suspect takes the gun. He points it at Margaret. She closes her eyes and keeps pleading, and a shot goes off, but luckily does not hit her. And then when she opens her eyes, they run out the back door.
1: Wow. Okay, Mm -hmm. so do we know any more details? We got what's going on with Margaret and the tall suspect in the bedroom. While those shots are going off between our our suspect and Michael, what's going on with that fight?
2: What we learn is is that the first shot goes off, and then Michael, who, because of his business, he does carry a knife himself. So what he does is he pulls out his knife, and he stabs the suspect. Oh. So that's why the second shot went off, because the suspect got shot. So I he, I mean, he, shoots,
0: he shoots Michael, Michael stabs him, so he shoots him again. Yes. Wow.
2: And so, and actually oh, we found out when Michael was removed by um, the fire department, when he was actually removed, we did find two 357 shell casings underneath him. Wow, okay. And, so that was we, and we also found a knife with blood on it. Which Michael's Which turned out to yeah. be Michael's.
0: So we, we, we hear that this happened. Was there any sort of part in the investigation where you believed that they came there with that intent? Or do we think that this is just something that got out of hand and the the shooting ended up happening? Like it was never meant to happen. They didn't come there with, you know, the hostile intentions of murdering, you know, Michael Temple. They just, it, it just happened.
2: I think it was just a robbery that got out of hand. Yeah. There's nothing that points to intentions of that was their intent going there that night.
1: I think you could argue that second shot was intentional. True.
0: And then we go back to the witness, Kelly. You had mentioned earlier that they were initially supposed to meet her somewhere else. And then somehow she ends up bringing them back to their house or making it to where they have to come back to their house. Was there any sort of indication for detectives that she had any involvement whatsoever and that she had sort of been in cahoots with the the, the two suspects or anything like that
2: of course at that time we we look into everything mm-hmm. so the detectives at the time they looked into everything looked into Kelly looked right. in all her associates and things like that and it did turn out this was just happened to happen Wow and that she didn't have any control of setting anything up
0: it, it sounds like there is an overwhelming amount of physical evidence, clearly at the scene. I mean, uh, Lieutenant Davis, you—you you, you were also a homicide detective. What—what—what does—what does that look like to investigators?
1: Go ahead. You can go.
0: Oh, okay. go ahead, you guys oh, are you you can for me? Oh, I, can, no, I can talk about it. No, I, I thought. am sorry. I thought
1: you were talking to Sergeant <laughs> Collier. Um, no, I mean investi- uh, in evidence is how we solve crimes, right? And collecting that evidence is how we solve crimes. It's how our um, prosecutors are able to secure convictions. And in, Mm -hmm. in part three of this, we'll get into that a little bit more.
2: And luckily, we have a phenomenal ECU staff, and they did a fantastic job that night by securing everything in the scene. And then even the outer perimeter that we had, the outside scene, because when the suspects ran out, Mm -hmm. As we know now, one was stabbed. Mm -hmm. There was blood in the snow that we were able to collect. Vanderbilt County Police, may I help you?
0: Uh, The scene of, well, actually two doors down from last night's events. What happened last night? Uh, There was, I guess, a break-in shooting.
1: Okay, do you have information on this?
0: Well, uh, one of the officers came to my door. Um, He took my name and number. I was out shoveling snow this morning and I see some, oh, some blood droplets in the snow uh, on my next door neighbor's drive. So I've left them there, but it's melting.
1: So as a former homicide detective, finding blood is very exciting. Um, And I'm sure it is for, for any detective looking for a suspect because we all know blood has DNA. Was this DNA helpful to detectives at the time?
2: At the time, the DNA was put in CODIS. What does that mean? Which is the database that we can put our suspect DNA in, and we can run it to see if anyone has been convicted of a felony before, and if their DNA is in a database, it will collect. But I'm sure Sarah will explain all that later down the line.
1: Right. So we did have DNA that was collected from the scene. But that DNA led to a dead end at the time, is what you're saying.
2: At the time, we had no hit on it.
1: Interesting.
0: So we go back to them collecting anything and everything that they can possibly collect that they think might help uh, during the investigation. What about the injuries to to, to both victims? We heard that, that Michael was shot, um, but, but I don't believe it ended there. What, what were his um, physical injuries, as a result of the shooting? Well,
2: Michael's injuries, he did have a gunshot wound um, in his right armpit and one on his uh, back left shoulder. Unfortunately, that left him a quadriplegic. Mm -hmm. So basically, from 2010 to 2015, he had a very painful life. For five
0: years. Physically and emotionally.
2: Yes, definitely. Because he had to rely on others to take care of him for everything. And as a young man, I don't think anyone would want that.
1: I don't know if we said this or not, but 2015 is when Michael actually died from these injuries. Yes. Gotcha. So he was shot in 2010, then suffered for five whole years as a quadriplegic, as not being able to do anything for himself. Um, what does that do to somebody? What does that? What does that? That? How does that re-victimize somebody every single day?
2: It destroys your life, Goodness. which is basically what it did to Michael. Unfortunately, unfortunately, him and um, Margaret wound up splitting. He, his father had to take care of him for all those years, and um, Michael himself had some addiction problems, and then. Because of the what he had been through, they're giving him more pain medicine. And, you know, you have to worry about infections and mm-hmm. things like that. It was just a
1: very long road. Yeah, that's, that's horrific. And I think sometimes in cases like these where we have um, multiple victims, sometimes the quote-unquote lesser of the victims kind of get forgotten. But there was a lot of people victimized by these suspects that night. You know, they they tried to assassinate Margaret. She has to live with that every time she closes her eyes. The uncle was assaulted and and duct taped like something you see out of a an action movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy and having to live with that in your own home. I don't know how anybody in that house that night is able to to carry on any type of comfortable normal life after that.
2: Yes, everyone in that house was victimized, and it, it's just. It's just very hard to wrap your head around and be able to figure out how you're going to move on from day to day.
0: And then you you hit on it just a few moments ago. He, Michael Temple ended up passing in June of 2015, so it becomes a homicide investigation at that point. How did that event kind of change the direction of the case? And, and if you could talk a little bit about your personal involvement, when did you personally become involved in the case? Because I know that's not how it works, and if you could kind of explain how case management works when it goes from you know maybe that district level or whoever was assisting it was like a concerted effort between district and cid and now it's become a homicide so it's it's kind of bumped up and you know how does it work through each detective and how does each detective you know kind of pass that information to the oncoming detective
2: um basically it's a lot of meetings yeah (laughs) we have a lot of meetings we we meet up and we look through all everyone's old notes And then you bring people in, you re-interview people, and see if there's anything now that they can remember that Mm -hmm. maybe they were too traumatized at that time that they blocked it out and couldn't even remember. So what we did is we re-interviewed everyone. And that's where we started again from.
0: And was that in 2015 when you became involved personally with the case, or did you get involved prior to that?
2: Basically, I became involved in 2015, me and Detective DiPietro.
0: And I guess up to that point... I'm, I'm assuming since we haven't discussed it, no significant leads, no, um, no no, red herrings, no, hey, we believe this person did it, this is where, what we've been searching, or, or or how much information was there up into that that point over that five-year period?
2: No, unfortunately, we didn't have any leads. We did put out the informational flyers. We put it out, just anyone with information, please let us know, but at that point, we did not have anything that we could go on.
1: So we talked about this a little bit earlier. I think a lot of people think, hey, you got the suspect's DNA, you got him. Hey, you got the suspect's fingerprint, you got him. Hey, we got him on camera, you got him. And that's just not the case for some of these investigations. Um, So we had this blood, we had this DNA. It was a dead end at the time. What did our evidence collection do with that? Where does that blood go? What do we
2: do? Basically, we we store it and we keep it until we can use it because luckily throughout these years, technology has really gotten better and we can, continues r- we can rerun things and we can test something again. And now with the better markings and things like that and just the way that science is, we can hopefully get an answer and put you know, people's questions to rest.
1: How many years from the time Michael Temple was shot in 2010 He died in 2015, that's five. How many years after that until we
2: got a break? 2018. Three years.
0: So over that five-year period between February of 2010 and June of 2015, detectives exhausted every means, avenue, and path of investigative methods without much happening in the direction of significant progress. Then one day, in 2018, a cold case detective learns of a new investigative technique that would end up revealing everything join us next time for part two to hear about the breakthrough in the michael temple case and how it not only affected this particular investigation but how it would change homicide and violent crime investigations nationwide